Hello and welcome to the Films and Swear Movie Podcast. Uh, we're the Foul Mouth Movie Podcast that records straight out of five Scotland. Each week we review films chosen on Twitter. I'm your host Stuart Sutherland and joining me today, he's a clown on the left of me, Magic Mike Christie. And he's a joker to my right, Andy Walker. And you cunts are stuck in the middle with us as we review Reservoir Dogs. Hey, that was uh, I was expecting something better. Yeah, I'm deeply it's fucking devastated. Oh, right he's kind of stuck in the middle of me. Yep. It was terrible. <laughs> I, I've, I've had this plan for like a fortnight. Yeah, Aww. I think your next, next, next thing might have, might have been better. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I. It is the beginning of our Quentin Tarantino season. Is it really a season? Because it's only really going to be four weeks, is it not? All right, our Tarantino month. Aye. Aye. So, aye, I'm looking forward to this. Reservoir Dogs, strong start. Mm-hmm. But yeah. obviously, uh, before we get to that, let's talk about all the famous cunts that died. <laughs> I know, like... Yo, and, yeah. Famous in a sense, because like, I'll probably know you heard any of them. Aye. By the time we finish discussing it, hopefully it'll ring a bell. <sighs> uh, first off, um, 20th of August, Jerry Lewis died. At the age of 91. Right. Now, obviously, he is obviously a huge deal in America. Like, he was, like, the original nutty professor. Uh, The best way to remember him, he always sounds like the the geeky scientist from The Simpsons. What a prank. Simon. Where he has, like, those wee spasms. Uh, Hi, Dean, hi. And just something weird like that. Uh, that's Jerry Lewis. That's his act as like the nutty professor. I know this is like totally off topic on that, but like speaking of like the Simpsons and uh, the weird professor, there's a member of the there's a member of the fucking like group that like works on Simpsons and they've actually got the same name as the professor. Like John Frank. Aye. So I'm kinda of wondering if maybe that's just a wee joke. It could possibly be. <clears throat> But anyway, fuck off, on me. Aye, so let's, let's talk about the one that's actually dead. <laughs> Aye. Aye uh, so, obviously, The Nutty Professor, it's the same thing that we got for Eddie Murphy. Like, in this one, instead of being fat, he was just socially awkward. He was a nerd. So drinking the potion that turned him into buddy love made him uh, handsome, obnoxious. So instead of about losing weight, it was just about gaining confidence. Alright. And his name was Julius Clip, not Clump. Right. So, I and I think the big one for me is Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy, where he started across from Robert De Niro. That is probably like, say, one of his most notable films, other than all the weird eccentric comedies he did. And the rest of it is just all TV. Yeah. Like he's, I think he's far more prolific as like a stand-up comedian. And all the TV shows he appeared in. But I have pulled a clip. Actually, have you ever seen? No, I've still not seen King Comedy. It's in there with one of the ones I've not seen. Aye. Andy? No, no. Aye. Uh, this was like 1982. Like, Scorsese and De Niro. Like, when they were still Thick as Thieves. Directing films. Uh, the plot of it is... Aspiring comic Rupert Pupkin attempts to achieve success in show business by stalking his idol, late night talk host who craves his own privacy. So, 
De Niro is Robert Putkin and Jerry Lewis is more or less just playing a version of himself as like a late night host but it's, it's Jerry something else yeah. so this clip I'm going to play now is him because uh, most, most of the clips on like YouTube are all De Niro centric they're all really about him because he's, he's just this mentally impaired guy who kidnaps a late night TV host because he's convinced he is the next big thing in comedy mm. but nobody's going to listen to him so I'll just kidnap Jerry and tell it to him but this is a sequence where it's a daydream and Jerry does, does most of the talking and he's just talking about how fucking brilliant uh, Rupert is. So I'll play that clip for you now. I know there's no formula for it. I just don't know how you do it. And I'm not curious, mind you, because I want to use the material. I want you to understand that. I'm just curious because I don't know how you do it. I really have to ask you that. How do you, how do, you do it? I think it's that I look at my whole life and I, I see the awful, terrible things in my life and turn it into something funny. I, I, it just happens. But what about the first few one-liners? Were they strong enough? I was a little... Strong enough? No. If they were any strong, you'd hurt yourself. They're marvelous, you daffy bastard. Leave them alone. They're beautiful. I no, remember that's... a man... A man said, listen to me. Listen to me. A man said something very profound some years ago, which I later originated. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, you want to know how I know it's so good? Yes. Because I envy you. I hate you, but I envy you because it's purity, it's marvelous, it's humor based on you. No one else could do it but you. I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't lie to you, Rook. Now, look, this weekend would be a perfect time for you to come out to the house, if you care to, and we can hash it around. Only because I really want to know how you do it. Now, there'll be some people there, but we can still work. What do you say? It sounds great. <coughs> Terrific. I would really like to come. Wonderful. Okay, so that was that clip there. And there's like a one, like a famous scene of it where he gets accosted by someone in the street because he's, he's stupid famous. Like people are like workmen of stop cat calling women because they see Jerry on the other side of the road. So they're all fucking whistling to Jerry <laughs> trying to get his attention. And then you've got, like, there's a woman in a phone box that tries to stop him. So I'm going to play this wee clip here. Hi there. Morris, you will not believe who's coming down here. Jerry Langford, right? Right. Oh, Morris, please hold on. Jerry, would you please sign my order? Stop signing my magazine for me. Yeah. You're just wonderful. I've watched you your entire career. You're a joy to the world. Please, Morris, would you just please say something to my nephew Morris on the phone? He's in the hospital. I'm and sorry, I'm late. You should only get cancer. I hope you get cancer. Jerry, can you just do such a person? I can't. So I always love that bit where it's like, no, I've not got time to sign your book in. I hope you get cancer. That's pretty. It's like quite. Oh, we love you. Don't like you're a star. I've not got time for you. Fuck you then. Never liked you. You're a dick. So, okay. Rest in peace, Jerry Lewis. Yeah. It is on like my list for one of the ones I like to watch. It is a good one. It's. I can never remember who the female actress in it is in it, but she's just as good as like De Niro and. Uh, fucking, Burry Jerry. Yeah. So, a week later, on 27th of August, we lost uh, Toby Hooper at the age of 74. Obviously, famous horror director, I think between the movies, TV shows, and TV movies, he clocked in 37 directorial credits. 
Alright. So, Andy, Toby Hooper, is that a familiar name? No. Well, you'll be familiar with some of the films at least. Maybe. If he's a director, I have no clue. Aye, well that's it. Mike, do you want to hazard a guess? I'm quite familiar, man. I've seen a few his films. Okay. I'm looking back, I might have not seen any of them. I've known, I know about a good few of them, but I've never, because half the time I said, these films will probably scare the fucking shit out of me. I'm not watching that. Yeah. So, you want me to go through a list of some of the big ones? I uh, wouldn't then. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 1986. He did the TV series Salem's Lot. Yeah. Based on the... the Stephen Kimbrick. Yep. Which yeah. I think got edited into a film when it uh, came over here. Ah, uh, but for like three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one is about a novelist and a young horror fan attempt to save a small town, a small New England town, which has been invaded by vampires. Uh, some of his other known ones, The Fun House from 1981... Four teenagers spend the night in a carnival funhouse and are stopped by a deformed man in a Frankenstein mask. Uh, actually, you have seen one of his films, Andy. What? Uh, he directed Poltergeist from 1982. Oh, that's alright. And he he seems to be like one of these directors that got picked up during like the Canon phase. Like obviously, uh. Canon was like the infamous studio who directed. So many shit films and just like uh, week after week after week just constantly was making films and pulled in the likes of Stallone to do Over the Top, Van Damme to do Cyborg. There's documentaries about like canon films. I think it's Cried Electric Boogaloo. That was one that I reviewed a couple of years ago. And right enough, Toby Hooper directed several films for them. Uh, Life Force. That is... The one about a, a race of space vampires arrive in London and infect the populace. Now, when I say space vampires, I mean about six foot tall, stark, na- naked supermodels uh, fucking infecting the populace by snogging them. Oh, for fuck's sake. So there's just these shots of just these fucking tall, slender women walking into buildings, snogging security guards who are helpless. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. This stunning woman with knee claisons walking right towards them. I think one shot he had a gun out and he just didn't care if he should shoot or not. <laughs> <laughs> he did shoot, but... Aye, it wasn't it's that good. Yeah. So, aye. Now it's Toby Hooper. Obviously, he directed a lot more, but I feel like that was some of his, like, known titles. Yeah, uh, I think I was one of the ones that wasn't that impressed with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. I've only watched it once yeah. I've no desire to really watch it again Aye. Like, for some reason like, I actually prefer the remake alright possibly if I haven't seen any of them I think I've always seen bits I've never seen the second one all the way through I've seen bits of it and it's kind of played more like a comedy Aye, I've heard and that it's like Dennis Hopper's in it Aye. and that, that, I'm positive that is a canon film also Like Aye. I think it was like the the, the studio that insisted on it being a comedy. Yeah. Because I think they had a big swing at that time, especially when they started pulling in big names. Yeah. Like, as you said. Probably like, just got, like, fucking writers in the, like, in the back office, about 20 people in the room, like, 
40 a desk with a typewriter and I just coming up with the most shitty fucking story. And it's jacking out. Is it right? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but funny. All right, boss, I'll have it ready by 12. <laughs> <laughs> so, aye. So that's two big names from out of Hollywood. And yet, Doc Cotton's still alive. Although Doc Cotton is still alive. <sighs> I feel like for some reason I could just imagine Phil Mitchell threatening her at the moment in my head. He's like, you see that fucking Toby Hooper's dead and you're no! <laughs> what age is she? Uh, older, fucking old. If you combine Jerry Lewis and Toby Hooper... She's older. Aye. <laughs> older than that number. Uh, so let's let's... Get to our spoiler warning then. I did try to think about doing, like, occasionally how I would just pull a quote for IMDb and sort of find and replace one word and replace it with spoiler. Uh, I was thinking yeah, about doing that with, like, the the discussion in the cafe, like, replacing Madonna and dicks with fucking Madonna and spoilers. But that's a lot of spoilers. That uh, would work. It, 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 the Disney Disney finish well like when they start going aye so it, it does it starts off fine but then it's like I'm, oh, oh fuck that'll sound crap by the end of it so what delights have you got for us this week just the same old copy and paste shite for last week <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to try the dick one mm. it could only go horribly wrong try it come on then right let's get the quote up pussy boy <laughs> Pussy boy Andy do you know what to start doing these for me Do you know what to start reading these for me Have you not seen the film Did you fucking listen There you go <laughs> I was the one no. I was wanting to read the dick speech Oh I think in the dick speech <laughs> You were written didn't you Get I'm, I'm on Amazon No Amazon I'm on IMDB quotes <laughs> Good for you <laughs> No. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Let me get some music up first. What should we go for? Little green bag or stuck in the middle with you? And stuck in the middle is like over. Like overplayed. Alright, so I should stop playing this then. Nah, just go away. Fuck it. Why not? We're in it. We're on it. Okay. Let's, that's our music. Let's switch over. Let me tell you about... fucking <laughs> wrong in the first line. Let me tell you what Like a Virgin is about. It's, it's all about this koozie who's a regular fucking spoiler machine. And talking morning, day, night, afternoon. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. How many spoilers is that? A lot. Then one day, she meets this fucking Quentin Tarantino motherfucker, and she's like, whoa, baby. I mean, this car is like... fucking... I guess, Charles Bronson, The Great Escape. He's just fucking spoiling shit left, right, and centre. Now she's getting some serious spoiler action, and she's feeling something that she's not felt for the first time. Sensitivity. She wasn't ready for this shit. Are you? How was that? 
It's actually better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and we should be doing this and just have a mic in the background going, Toby Chew, Toby Chew, Toby Chan, Charlie fucking Chan. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Dixon Wanny and Chan's another here. <clears throat> so yes, that was your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Pulp Fiction... You motherfucker. What? <laughs> Wrong film. I did I say Pulp Fiction? Yeah. yeah. At least I faded the music out. If you can't suddenly see Reservoir Dogs, I wouldn't bother listening to the rest of the podcast because we're going to just get bored deep in spoiler territory. Right. Rather than, as we normally do at this point in the show, go through his directing career. I just say, I'm actually so happy you've changed it for LBD to body. Yes. I remember that part. My, my template script has now got the word balls <coughs> on it instead of elbow. Cool. So, normally we would go over fucking Tarantino's directing credits, but we're not going to repeat the same shit like for the next four weeks. Yeah. I thought, okay, we'll, we'll do a little bit something different each week. Right. Do you know that Tarantino is a two-time Oscar winner? Yeah, but I don't know what for. Okay, that was my next question. He got one in 1995. Uh, it was best writing screenplay uh, written directly for the screen. Which one do you think you would have got that for? Bob Vixen. Yep. And a second one, again, same category. Best writing in the original screenplay. I'll not tell you the year this time. What do you think, Andy? It'd be Django. Oh, fucking winner, winner, chicken dinner. I yes. wanted to share I thought it was maybe going to be Django and Inglourious. So. Aye, that's it. He's... I was in between them. He has been nominated, like, fucking rakes of times. But it's just Pulp Fiction and Django and Chain which have earned him two Oscars. Yeah. Obviously, his films have earned other Oscars, but it's not for like his involvement. Yeah. Like, last I remember, uh, is it Ennio Morricone? Yeah, the composer for it. Uh, he got an Oscar for that. Mm. So. Okay, the cast of Reservoir Dogs. I'll read this one out if you want. Aye. Harvey Keitel. Yeah, let Mikey do it. Let Mikey do it. Well, we're sitting at opposite sides of the room. And we're all we're all connected in. We're like we're we're into the matrix. If we move over, our cables will come out. You you cannot off the head anyway. All right, Mike, rattle off. I'll be fair. I've got my my limited Mondo steelbook next to me. I'll just uh, just read it after that. (laughs) Oh, I Harvey Keitel plays Mister White. Um, Steve Buscemi plays Mr. Pussy sorry Mr. Pink who? Pink Pussy Steve <laughs> Buscemi aye Buscemi aye. aye I watched the like I got the DVD for this and it had two special features audio commentary in the trailer and in the fucking trailer it's like Stu, Steve Buscemi aye. like the guy didn't know how to say Buscemi it was too soon he wasn't famous enough to get his name correct yeah um, Tim Roth, Mr. Orange, uh, Michael Madsen's Mr. Blonde, Quentin Tarantino himself as Mr. Brown, and well, what's the name of the older guy? Oh, uh, Mr. Blue. Aye. Edward Bunker. Edward Bunker, that's it. <laughs> Probably um, one of the like, more lesser known ones out of the group. Eh? Aye, definitely. <laughs> And the rest of them, Chris Penn is Nice Guy Eddie, Lawrence Tierney is Joe Cabot, 
Uh, Randy Brooks is Holdaway. 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 <laughs> his contact. Orange's contact. Ah. And Kurtz Boltz as Officer Marvin Nash. In relation to Big Kevin Nash? I did he can. It did look like his knees were fucked. He's sitting <laughs> doing right now. Fucking ears anyway. Hey <laughs> uh, Andy, go and tell me what is the plot of Reservoir Dogs? Fuck knows. Starts off with a fucking robbery gone wrong, mm-hmm. and then you slowly find out details on what happened to lead up to that point. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's basically bank robbery. That's not, it's, not, it's not a bank robbery, is it? It's a Joe Heist. Joe Heist Joe Heist gone Heist. wrong, and they got holed up in a wee shitty warehouse, and they believe they've been set up, and they try to work out who the informant is. Mm-hmm. That's better. Aye. Well, you see, this one boy, right, he gets his ear cut off and they swear. A lot. Mm-hmm. And they'll ask you first, was this your first time watching Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Yes. Very first time. Disgusting. <laughs> Fuck you then. Prick. <laughs> Did you I, fear that it starred a young Ryan Gosling? No, but that's something that's going to come up later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, obviously this isn't your first time. When was the first time you saw Reservoir Dogs? Um, I think I must have been about 14, 15 maybe. Hmm. Loser. <laughs> <laughs> they never fucking showed that sounded so personal they had to go right up to the mic to say it to me dick yes uh, <laughs> fucking hugging the mic mm. uh, so this was not a film they showed you back in high school then not surprisingly not <laughs> um, there's no there's no story behind how you came across it the first time just happened to be um, on or I think I remember I bought it on video from, remember in leaving High Street, remember the shop at the top of the street. Explain to our younger viewers what videos are. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll be more familiar with the American terminology of VHS. VHS or a Betamax. Yeah. Um, aye, but no, I remember that shop at the top of the High Street it used to be opposite the Cali. And it was like, oh, a, it was like a second-hand uh, shop ABC. or something like was I was it like Jacks or something? Ah, that was that. I'm sure I bought it there. I think it was for like a whole, like a whole three pound. I used three pound in my weekly fucking, like, fucking pocket money. Pocket money for the week. Right? Didn't we go spend that on sweets? No, I'm gonna just buy ultra violent films, mum. <laughs> ah, that's my boy. <laughs> exactly, mum and dad. Did you get? It? Eh? Bought it for you. You're, four, you're fourteen. I bought it myself. That film was easily an eighteen. Ah, it was. It was. But Jack didn't care. <laughs> Pretty sure it was a woman that sold me as well. The fucking, she's sitting there in a fucking building that's now got heating in front of like a wee panel fire. Like, oh, there you go, that's a three quid for the meter. Ah, no, it's fucking three quid in her pocket. It's like, uh. fuck Jack. Making he fucking work here. Ah, so I bought it with her because I think I'd, always, I'd already seen Pulp Fiction. I think I'd only seen Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And then it was also because I didn't think I seen Jackie Brown until a couple of years later. Aye. Um, 
for me, I, I was later. I think I got it on DVD like when I was in college. Like it's sort of the same way that I came across getting things like Pulp Fiction. It was always one of those deals where you get like half a dozen films for twenty quid. Yeah. And I was like, I've never watched that one. That'll do. Like, yeah. You've got five, and you're just trying to find one more just so you could get the fucking deal. So you just start grabbing films you've never heard of. Yeah. And so he's like, right, Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs. Right, I'll see what this is like. So. Let's start with Andy's reaction. Go on, Andy. What did you think of Reservoir Dogs? I quite enjoyed it. I think I I, it's a good film, but I think it gets a wee bit too much press as a good film. Mm-hmm. There's like better well, films that I enjoyed more that only as revered as Reservoir Dogs. Right. Would you care to name such films? I would not. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I'm under. I think you know. I was gonna say I'm, I'm in the mindset where I feel this isn't one of his more underappreciated films. Aye, like, um, in my opinion, I think this is his like top filmer. Mm. Aye, this, this is gonna be a funny thing over the next couple of weeks. Then we're watching all these films. I bet my opinion will change each week. And say, oh, Reds of Our Dogs is the best. Next week, oh, fucking Glorious Bastards is the best. And I'll yeah. just fucking cut in and out of whatever I'm fucking watching that week. Yeah, but aye, um, it is, it's a fucking brilliant wee film, and it's just it's short as well. It's like it just cuts right to it. Aye, aye, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a long film. No, and as you said, it just fucking goes. Yeah, and I think it probably would have been like was it nineteen ninety two? Like that probably would did blow minds back in the day. Yeah, like with what you could get away with. Yeah. And especially as, like, uh... I could have been big at the Sundance, eh? I was reading. Aye. It was one of these things where it was something made on a fucking shoestring budget and it just kind of blew everyone away. Aye, it was, like, I was reading it was something like, like, 300 grand or something it cost. Um, There's something about that. We'll, we'll figure that out when Aye. we get to the budget and box office. Um, Did we get your reaction? Nah. No, go for it. Um, aye, I quite enjoyed it. It's the first time we watched it in quite a few years. Aye, aye. And, I, and like, well, I was saying on like Twitter the other day, and I like, I bought the steelbook of that last year, mm-hmm. and it cracked the seal this morning, so it was like fresh. <laughs> it felt good. <laughs> it fucking did. Eh? <laughs> um, Slowly peeling off the plastic. But I like, I, I think like, oh, like, I, I, I wouldn't say he's made a bad film. Mm-hmm. But, and this is obviously like it's definitely his top one for me anyway. Aye, and I think the thing that supports it, there's got so many fuck in it, given such fucking great performances. Yeah. Like, when watching this, like, Christ, Harvey Keitel's quite good in this. And it's like, Jesus, fucking Steve Buscemi's actually fucking brilliant in this. Aye, it was quite good. And then, like, Tim Roth fucking wakes up and is like, Christ, he's actually quite good as well. It's like, this film yeah. has a really strong how he, cast. How he survived through the hell film, I will never know. <laughs> uh, well, maybe we should start that. Let's go through some of our colours. Uh, Mike, do you want to pick a colour to talk about first? Uh, aye, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a curveball and I'll go Mr. Blue. Aye, so like he... Eddie Bunker. Ah, he showed up. 
He didn't fucking show up. He was only in the, he, he, he was only in one fucking scene and that was a diner scene. Ah, he showed up for breakfast. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> showed up, smoked cigar, fucked it all. And that's sort of like that one, like, if they're tying it all together, that was like the one lace that was never tied. We never found out. Aye, because they were, they were always saying that he kind of got shot. But they no, never ever seen it. Well, that's it. Mr. Blonde was saying it. I was like... Like, he got shot, he didn't. He got rid the cops got him or he got away. Uh. And it was like, we found out what happened to Mr. Brown, we got to see what happened, and then the rest is all in really contained within the warehouse. Yeah. But, I uh, he was like just this gun that showed up for breakfast. Yeah. It was Joe Heist and a free breakfast. Well, yeah. I'm sure for the breakfast at least. But it wasn't really free for the tip. Oh, that fucking tip speech. Aye. Uh. Like, I, if I thought, I would have liked to know what Steve Buscemi did before this. 1992, I think that might be before the big Lebowski. Yeah, it was. Like, I'm wondering if this is like one of his first serious roles. Yeah. Where he is, he's knowing it just because it looks weird and sounds funny. Yeah. He's actually, and when he gets the whole speech about not tipping, and it's just the fucking disgust of everyone around him. Like, what do you mean you don't tip? Yeah. Like, Chris Penn's great in this as well. Ah, Chris Penn is fucking good in this. Uh, and it's just like, we do see, I've not seen enough of Chris Penn. I like, you see him in here, and you see him in the first rush hour. And I can't remember him for anything um, else, really. I always remember him as being fucking in the second Beethoven film. <laughs> where he was one of the kidnappers. Like, uh, it, was, it must have been like... Oh, shit, yes, yes, I remember that. <laughs> and I always remember him, like, falling... Like, doing a hill. Aye. And then he goes head first into and a fucking open tree trunk. Aye, aye. And I know he sees his legs just kicking about. Uh, it's just such a bad fucking film. What year was fucking Beethoven too? Probably after this, I would think. I just imagined him in a, like, a hollow tree hump, tree, a tree stump, just going, I was in Reservoir Dogs, now um, I'm in this. I remember him in... Uh, he was in Rush Hour, I remember aye. him being in that. Aye, I remember him and he was... Best of the best. Was oh. he in that? I've never ever seen that. That's uh, by Eric Roberts, eh? Yeah. Uh, I've never ever seen him. Um, I always remember him for True Romance as well. He played one of the policemen that ah, was going after. I've not seen that in a number of years. It's a good film. I always kind of keep again that he died. Aye. Quite young as well. Yeah. Aye. I mean, he didn't look like the healthiest guy, but nah. I think... If I had to guess, maybe it was a heart attack or drugs. It was like a guy that would quite enjoy working day and a wee bit coke. Probably. It's him and Mike. But Mike Madsen just fucking rather than doing shots are just continually doing lines just to see whose heart would give out first. Aye. That's probably the way he would have went. Yeah. Just doing he lines after hookers. Oh. He cared too much. <laughs> yeah. Him and Big Andre. <laughs> Alright Andy, you pick a colour. Who's one of your favourites? Um orange. Oh, that's an interesting one. I just thought like how he played the like half dead guy. Aye. Most of the film. I thought that was believable. Mm-hmm. No lot of, no a lot of actors could pull off getting shot. But I thought that was pretty uh, like so you mean like what we see at the very fucking beginning where he's in the back seat of the car, yeah, going absolute yeah. fucking nuts. 
Because mm-hmm. that's I didn't know if I was I when I was doing my notes, it's like right, you've got your paragraph for bad bets. What bets did you know like? And it's like is the only thing I could fault this film was is Tim Roth doing too much? But then you think, how else would you act if you're fucking dying? Of course you'd yeah, act yeah. fucking mental. Yeah, he's absolutely delirious. Eh? Aye. Aye, he's, he's no, like, just sitting there acting all fucking solid. Aye, just... Uh, I'm fine, I'm fine, and he'd slowly no. fucking just die without even wincing. Aye, and this film, it looks like he's fucking kicking fuck out of death to try and keep him away from him. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> it's like, oh, fucking dying, man! Like, just how the fucking tone in his voice goes uh, up, it's fucking brilliant, and fucking Harvey Keitel's brilliant is he's like almost like quite compassionate he's like a, like a concerned parent Aye. he's just trying to console his kids said oh who's my tough guy come who's my tough guy <laughs> you're okay are you a fucking doctor no you're not a fucking doctor you don't know you're talking shit oh jesus christ there's, there is there's a thing about quentin tarantino films is like the dialogue is so fucking spot on like i bet actors really do love like doing like Tarantino films because they get meaty parts, get dialogue heavy roles. Like, they're yeah. oh, apart from Mr. Blue, maybe he can, mm. like, he was on set for a day and said, right, let's add one more colour. Yeah. But everyone else gets all these fucking great dialogue. Everyone gets fucking scene stealing moments. Yeah. I think kind of it, like, do you cry at like a proper, like a fucking actor's film or like, it's definitely. I don't know, I sound fucking stupid, but it seems like it's like definitely next level stuff. Like, you know when you're watching a Tarantino film? Like, fast-paced yeah. conversations, long conversations, fucking laced with swear words and yeah. fucking racial slurs. And mm, it's real. Exactly, it's... And people always say, it, it's like the fucking conversations you have with your pals. It's mm. a thing like Kevin Smith said a lot, like, when he saw Reservoir Dogs, he's like, wait, you could get away with that. You could just film... These guys having breakfast and talking about fucking dicks and stupid <laughs> shit, arguing over tips like that counts. Yeah, because that's he never fucking uh, fired out clerks to about ninety four. So I, I'd imagine that probably kind of really lit a fire. Like shit, we could just write down the conversations we do in the fucking shop and things like that. Yeah. And that counts. But I, Mister Orange. Oh. Yeah, that's quite. A... <laughs> what about the the commode story? I quite like that. I that's maybe another one of like Tarantino's traits where you kind of have a story within the story. Like the obvious ones being like uh, Inglorious Bastards and the scenes with like Michael Fassbender. But this one, like where he just has, like maybe, would you say five? It's not ten minutes, but it's it's got a good five minutes to himself, him yeah. and his contacts, and it's just going over this fucking commode story. Yeah. And I love, like, the progression of it. Like, where it starts off, and he's looking at he's like, I've got a fucking script. What the fuck's this shit about? But as it goes through each paragraph, it cuts to, um, like, in his apartment, cuts to, um, a, like, where he's contacting, is it in a nightclub? No, he, he's with the fucking gang at that point. Yeah. Like, just as the progression goes on, the confidence kicks in, and... Yeah. he's memorising it and then like in the last fucking paragraph we're in the story we're watching it happen yeah yeah so it's, and just... it's like it's when he's like in the apartment as well and they phone him mm-hmm. and say that he's outside and you see him and he's like 
goes into his behind and takes out the wedding ring, Aye. puts it on his finger and that, goes to the door, shuts the door, looks in the mirror and he's like, Aye, I can do this. So he can unsell it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, that's it. Now, was there a significance in the wedding ring? I don't know. There's, yeah. he doesn't men- there's never any nah. mention of family, a wife. It's, I think if it's just part of the identity yeah. he had. Part of his cover. Ah, exactly. I always want because every time you see him fucking tip out the fucking the change bowl and raking through it, and it's like, wait, ah, he's got, he gets a ring. What the fuck's that for? Uh, I guess it's just like one of these wee things fucking Tarantino just leaves in there. Yeah. Just to kind of add... Add mere depth. Mystery. Aye. Or it's just the whole fact that fucking Mr. Orange is adding mere depth to his character. Mm. Like he, he's got a fucking failed marriage, but he's not ready to let go of the ring just yet. Yeah. Apart from when he sees that lassie cross the street, and then she get right on my dick. <laughs> I did like that scene as well. Like the as you said, the sort of bonding moment. Yeah. Where You've got Harvey Keitel and Tim Ruff just sitting there and they're just going over the plan. Aye, it was a dying eye at the side there. Sitting in the car. Yeah. And that fucking joke about the lassie sitting on his dick fucking really <laughs> gets a chuckle out of Mr. White. Because I'm trying <laughs> to think, like, they quickly kind of develop this close relationship. Yeah. Like, to the point where he, like, Harvey Keitel is fucking willing to get himself shot for him. Yeah. That's probably just part of his plan, I can. How do you feel about, like, Mr. Orange on how how he got fucking shot? Like, ah, oh, really? Wait, dude, like a pussy. Some fucking woman with a wee fucking pocket gun? Uh, what a bitch. Because... <laughs> but then he, then he done the, un, the uncut policeman thing and shot the woman. Yeah. Uh, for her trouble. And I think as soon as he does that, you kind of see right away the regret. Aye, it kind of looks... What the fuck have I done? Aye, because obviously it's a fucking snap reaction. Yeah. Like, someone shoots me, I'll shoot you. He's like, Jesus Christ, this woman's got nothing to do with this. Yeah. But, I think... Tim Roth's underrated. Yeah. In general. Like, his... Yeah, because he's... Mere on TV nowadays, eh? Ah, I keep seeing him advertise. Aye, and he's got another one. Is it? He's at Tin Badge or something. Aye, which Tin Star. Tin Star. That's it. Now TV's advertising that all the time. The new before you watch something, it's Walking Dead, Westworld, and Tin Star. What's Tin Star that I've not seen? It's something about a detective thing set in Canada, or he's come from Canada to go somewhere. Aye, but. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll probably watch a couple of episodes because now it's like Tim Roth's fucking amazing and stuff. Like, um, and he also he is kind of one of Tarantino's go-to guys. He does return in the Hateful Eight. He I feel in, he was in Pulp Fiction. He was the the foot that robbed the diner at the start. Yes, I one of the fucking brilliant, like most memorable moments of that film. Yeah, it's like right, come on, Honey Bunny. And is like, everybody move! Or everybody don't move or I'll fucking kill you. Uh, yeah, Aye. I don't think he was in anything else apart from... I remember him in that Hulk movie. As in oh, that yeah. Gets turned into the, the abomination. Uh. Um, 
But I was saying that, you might have fucking lots of good films, they're just not as well known as Yeah. Reservoir I thought Dogs. it was brilliant and fucking hateful eight. Aye. So, he's, uh, he's so fucking peppy. <laughs> like, he's just, like, he was not the hangman, he was, what was his character again? Uh, ah, fuck it, we'll, we'll save aye. it. We'll save it. Hopefully we'll get to that one. Um, right, let's see, another colour, another colour. That's a blonde. Aye. Fucking Michael Madsen. Ah, that's a good role for him, like. Aye, that's mm-hmm. possibly the role. I don't think he's really done anything big. Like, of course he shows some Tarantino films, but nothing as fucking juicy as this role. Like, him dancing to Stuck in the Middle with you is, like, iconic. Mm. Especially in his career, anyway. Like, that is going to be the moment, like, when he's dead and they're showing you him at the Oscars, it's going to show you him doing that wee shuffle with a razor blade. (sighs) Sorry. No, I'm I'm trying to put fucking number Mike's days but like aye aye I can't really remember him being in it and as big as big as yeah I mean it had like it had roles in like Kill Bill and Hateful Eight Hateful Eight and man. was in Django kind of might have been Django but <sighs> and the rest of the films he did yeah outside of it I always felt like it was sort of those straight to DVD uh, crime films like alongside Danny Trejo yeah uh-huh. yeah I can't really remember much but come on let's talk about his scene, the, the big scene then like where they find that fucking cop yeah tie him mm. down and it's a what starts off it's a fucking Tarantino trope with the the boot oh, camera the fucking trunk the boot camera aye like that's another thing. This film has like a really specific soundtrack. Aye. Like, what's it? Uh, what was the fucking DJ's name? Something uh, like K Billy's Super Sounds the seventies. K Billy's Super Sounds the seventies. Aye. And everyone. Did fucking... any of you think he seemed like that boy? Who, who was it? The boy who played. Oh, Philip Seymour. Aye. Seymour. Aye. I thought he seemed just like him. Aye, the guy that did it is uh, a dude called Stephen Wright, but yeah. I never looked into seeing if like, oh, you cunt, is that guy? I never went that far. But aye, a very specific, everything in the soundtrack has to be from the fucking 70s. Yeah. And all the cunts in it seem to fucking love that. Like, they keep mentioning it, like, when you have a nice guy Eddie driving with... Uh, pink, white, and orange, yeah. and they start talking about like the fucking TV shows and Pam Greer and that. But they start talking about sounds of the seventies yeah. as well. Uh, but aye, it's when he gets the fucking boy strapped into the chair. Yeah, and he takes it, the fucking razor blades. Aye. What was the fucking first line he said? Some like something like. Uh, I was just about to say, like, are you going to bark, little doggy, or are you going to bite? But that's when he's fucking winding up Mr. White. Uh, like, he does, this film is chopped through a great, like, one-liners or memorable quotes. Yeah. And I think Michael Madsen gets most of them. Yeah. But it's just the thought of cutting some cunt's ear off. Yeah. And to the thought, like, Jesus Christ, they're actually going there to the point where the camera has to pan away. 
like to the point that like, oh no, we can't no this is even too much for us let's look away and I just love the little gag he does after he's turned his oh, ear he off talking, is it? and he's like can you hear me hello hello did you hear that and he's like oh you're a you're a dick and the the makeup job they did on it as well was actually quite quite aye, good. Yeah, fucking, it looked quite grim, like. Aye, and it, it doesn't look like he's just got all this like fucking makeup on the side of his face, like hiding a prosthetic. It looked yeah, because that boy was sweating bullets as well. Aye, aye, because on one of the tribunals, they had the idea of using it to be spray thing. Like the wee tube. Oh, I just spurt blood. Yeah, mm. but then they decided not to bother going with it. Aye. Ah, oh, because he also he slashes his face to begin with. Yeah. But he's already bleeding because all the boys had a couple shots at him when yeah. trying to get information from him. But it was a good point when Chris Penn comes in, and they see the guy there. I said, look at the fucking state. And I was like, he'll tell you the guy that started the fucking Chicago fires if you keep treating him this way. Doesn't yeah. mean he's fucking right, though. Uh. But one part of that I always fucking forgot was the petrol. Uh, I always thought he just did the ear and that was it. Uh, nah, it was I, was, of... I was the opposite. I didn't care anything about the ear. I couldn't have done something with petrol. He's been parodied all the time. Yeah. Because that is one of like, the most fucking memorable moment of the film. Yeah. Like, that's what fuck will take away from it. It was like either the ear bit or like that one of us that did getting tortured. Yeah. But, I, I do love the fact, like, obviously the music is playing over the scene, but when he leaves the warehouse to go to the car, the uh, music stops. And it's the one, it's the Tarantino trope again, with the one continuous shot. Aye, because it looks... It's just some kind of walking around with a handheld camera almost, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it just looks like uh, some, somebody's just walking behind him. He was the supposed to try and get the petrol. And then he walks back in and hears the music playing on the uh, radio. It's perfect because it's, it's just grounded with realism. Like, yeah. the music leaves because he leaves. And then it comes back in because he walks back in the room. It's not a soundtrack playing over the film. Yeah. And it is, like at the moment where he's fucking pouring the petrol over him and he's uh, going back and like Christ what, when does this bit fucking end and that that twist moment where fucking Orange pops up yeah it's and, pretty much been dead for the last half hour it's just no moved and unloads a whole fucking clip yeah but it's brilliant and the fact that spraying him with bullets sends him to the other side of the fucking warehouse where he's dead by the fucking door yeah hang on so like like a fucking what if a spray bullet hit the fucking petrol can? Well, he chucks a petrol can across the room, like he empties it all, and then just launches it to the sides. Ah, I do remember because he throws it, and it just batters off the wall, or like ah. that, like a big wooden door. But ah, it is a fucking brilliant moment. Like even when I was rewatching it last night, like Mike was like pissing a bit on her phone, not watching the film, but. You can't even not watch like what Michael Madsen's doing. Like, Jesus, like what is this cunt gonna get set on fire? And then the fucking hailed him with bullets and was like, fuck well he's dead then eh? <sighs> Cause that's it, there's no way you're getting fucking back up after nah. what feels like more than fucking like eight bullets or something. It feels like he fires about twelve, fifteen fucking yeah. bullets into this cunt. The fact that he's still like holding his gun 
like after it and that and still just... fucking clicking a few times is because it pans across and Madsen's still he's not dead he's still kind of like propping himself up and then just uh... fucking drops to the floor <laughs> launch the cat motherfuckers but that was a good twist like just when fucking orange pops back to life yeah and the fucking balls on the cop aye because like, he, he, he knew aye he knew as well he fucking remembers like was it Freddy was his name aye he fucking remembered that he was an undercover cop and just never said a thing even though he fucking chaps his ear off and fucking yeah. covering him in petrol and this guy was just saying oh no I've got a kid he didn't go that, that dead cunt over there he's the crook he's the fucking mole didn't uh, he but yeah I quite like um, <clears throat> I quite like the dynamic that white and pink had when they get to the warehouse aye cause and, uh, and he's like and he fucking like orange is like can like hold me aye. and I like kind of cradles him and then just fucking pink just stops and he's like what the fuck was that like I doesn't even Seem to bother that uh, fucking... one boy's lying dead on the floor. Yeah, but then I suppose they're all they're all strangers. They didn't really kill each other. Aye, it is. It's it's so fucking grim that first half where you think Tim Roth is like Orange is probably gonna peg it. Yeah. And fucking Mister White is devastated. He is. He's yeah. Aye. The thing was though, like the the probably like a. F- if you were in that situation, would you have thought that, like, Mr. Blue is maybe the informant because he was, like, nowhere to be seen? Aye, oh, that's it. One of the greatest things about this film is the fact that we don't get to see this robbery. Yeah, aye, you only see the aftermath of it. Aye, like, what might have been... Aye, because they talk about, um... Mr. Blue just, like, fucking shooting all cunt. Aye, because that's a weird just left to imagine... Yeah. what fucking happened and like it's hard to imagine what it actually plays it like yeah and I think it might have just came down it was like maybe a cost factor that they just never bothered filming it yeah. but it's something that worked so hugely in the favour of the film because it's it kind of gives you that feeling because like they're, they're all guessing it's an informant but it's almost like you're watching the thing and you're trying to figure out which one of them is the monster. Yeah. Because everyone gets led back to the warehouse and they're all sure that what the fuck went wrong because Pink's got a different story for White. And yeah. I love that actual shot where you get to see Pink running away. Aye, and, it's cool. and you just see him fucking doing a marathon doing a street. Aye, and he has for the car. Aye. And just wiping out fuck in front of him and then you've got three cops running in unison behind him. And just all these stupid cunts that they can want to move and they get in front of them fall over. It's like, fuck you, man! <laughs> but oh, he does get fucking wiped out by a car, doesn't he? Aye. Uh, uh, Andy, I feel like I'm not asking you enough questions. What? Um, any favourite... I was going to say, any favourite pink scenes? <laughs> um, my favourite bit with him would probably be when he was in an argument with Joe. Uh, with the actual getting his name. Oh, uh, during, during the roll call. That was a, aye, that's a brilliant scene. Aye. Yeah. I love that whole scene. That was like my favourite bit of the film. Aye, because that's it. it. And it's a great way, like, I think that's yes. in all the trailers. Yeah. Because 
it's a part you could show that's funny and it kind of gets the, the sense of humour because uh, you get the conversation I always like, laugh at the way Joe says purple as well <laughs> people <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like Tarantino's disgust at being brown yeah uh, like, hey you're not brown that's Mr. Shit <laughs> And then it's a fact that he wants to trade with Harry Keitel and all that. Aye. And that fucking Joe, like, when they describe it themselves perfectly, saying he's the thing. Yeah. Like, that is a perfect description of that guy. He just looks like this fucking hard-boiled gangster who's fucking tired. He's like, no, I've chose the fucking nims. You're not going to change your nims. Well, either listen to me or just get the fuck. And Mr. Aye. Pink's like, hey, no, we're cool, Joe. It's beneath me, man. Because everyone <laughs> seems to be fucking scared of Joe. You, uh, yeah. He seems to be some mm. fucking kingpin. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't want to get the wrong side of him and his fucking shell suit son. <laughs> what about the fucking that big old nineties phone he's walking about with? Ah, uh, <laughs> the the brick. After that, quite that ang- mobile, why did he not phone that doctor for fucking orange? Ah, uh, mm-hmm. so they're like, oh, I'll do it when I when I leave. I want to see how bad it is first. Nah, I could just put a plaster on that. I think we discussed it. I think we've thoroughly went through our characters. I think so. We never went to our Mr. White. Well, actually... I think you class him as like the main character of the film. Or... It does. It starts off with him, anyway. Aye. Like, when we get our first flashback, because as we learn with most Tarantino films, this film is shown out of order. Yeah. It's not a chronological event. It's all mixed up. You've got... Yeah. Before robbery... Right after, and then how everyone got involved in the robbery. Yeah. His, um, I remember, probably the best scene with him in it is definitely, like, outside of all the stuff, it's him and Tim Roth. It's him and Mr. Pink, when they leave Mr. Orange on the floor and go into, like, a wee side room to wash up. Uh. And Mr. Pink's going about, who's the rat? And he's like... Who's the fucking rat? and he says it to uh, Mr. White and Mr. White is like, well, if anything, you could be the rat. And like, that's it. Get that mindset. You can't trust anyone. That body in there could be the fucking rat. And Kaitel fucking switches like that boy took a fucking bullet from me. He's no fucking rat. Aye. And it's like, oh fucking Harvey Kaitel, I forget how fucking good you are in films. Mm. Like he could get he could get intense if he wants to. Yeah. Like the way he turns it over is like he does. I never think of him as equal as like likes of Robert De Niro and things like that. But a scene like that, it matches the intensity of these guys. Like yeah. in Scorsese films, like I've never seen because I think his big one is Bad Lieutenant. Uh I've seen it once. Aye, uh, because that's I've, only other times I remember him. He's just that fucking wild ass pimp for taxi driver. Hmm. But uh, Andy, actually, what about you, Harvey Keitel? Outside of like this film, do you remember of him from anything else other than direct line adverts? No, really, no, no much. I've seen oh. him in a, I can't mind what the film was, but he was in a film way the needle. I think what one it was. Mm-hmm. I've seen, but no very much of him. No. Nah. But what do you think of his performance in this? Oh, it was really good. Aye, it's, it's strange, yeah. it? like you. Not that like you forget these guys, but you forget that they have such actually fucking brilliant performances. Yeah. And I think this is like a fucking showcase of everyone 
fucking gives it their all. Like everyone's got their fucking A game in this film that isn't a bad performance. Nobody yeah. spoils it. Like even Quentin Tarantino in it, where you could feel like, oh my, this kind of had to be part of the group. Of course he is. He's a fucking director. Uh, he gets his bit at the start, gets to tell his dick story, uh, then he gets to fucking bleed out in a car. Uh, which is a bit weird, because it gives you the impression he took a bullet to the head and kept driving. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, didn't that he... was strange. Aye, and they didn't even think, like, I'm going blind. Like, nah, man, you just got blood in your eyes. Like, I was shot in the fucking head. <laughs> I think I could go blind for get, taking a bullet to the fucking head, let alone drive this car back to wherever. But how did he get shot in the head? Ah, oh, can Because you never see it. Aye, but there was a wind, the windscreen was hell, and oh. the, the, like, the back windscreen, that was hell as well. So it must have happened before he got into the car. Aye. Shot the head, got the car, drove away for drove away for the scene, got away for the police, and then died. Aye, I mean, like got in the car. He's probably, it's, been, it's, it's probably been assisted. <laughs> or some cunt shouts something. You're a brun. They look at it. What? Bang! Ah, you dick! <laughs> it's just like the fucking fat boy for Jurassic Park getting uh, spat on by the dinosaur. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have a look. Right, we've, we've, we've went through our our palette of colours. Uh, so, what uh, was your favourite scene? Then, probably what Andy's. Um, I think I think the diner. It's that. Ah, it's all cunt. Like you get the the Madonna dick speech. You get the the tip thing. I get fucking Joe trying to go through his phone book and the way uh, Mr. Yeah, White yeah. takes the piss out of him is so fucking perfect. Uh, and even like the joke where fucking Mr. Blonde says, hey, hey Joe, you want me to kill this guy? Uh, and fucking Mr. White's response like, hey, if you even dream about shooting me, you better fucking apologise. And all the guys like, oh shit, like fucking burn. And even fucking like Mr. Blonde's no sure how to fucking react to that. It's like, I've not got an answer for that. <laughs> like, it is, it just kind of perfectly encapsulates like the best of all these characters before it all goes horribly wrong. Yeah. Mike? Um, I know, probably I quite favour the standoff between Joe, Eddie, White, Pink. Our fucking ending. Yeah. Aye. And the standoff's like really good. Because obviously we know, like we know who they Aye. And Foreman is. Because that's it. It feels like, at what point does fucking uh, Orange pop up and show him? It feels like it's maybe about 45, 50 minutes in. Ah, because then, cause cause then once it. that happens, you get, all, you get the... The brown, flashback. The, the, pink, uh, the orange. The orange story, and that one's so fucking quite a long... Aye, because that's it. Story. Like, Andy tonight, watching this film, would not have known Tim Roth was fucking a cop until he fucking pops up and shoots blonde. Well. Or. I guessed it was him for the start, basically. Aye. Just because aye, it, well, it's the well, least obvious. Him or, Har- him or Harvey Keitel. Aye. Just the way, is when he gave up the gun. It's like, oh, why are you giving him a gun? That's dodgy. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's got to hear this gun for the film, and he's going to get up and kill some gun. <laughs> See, Andy's like Rain Man when it comes to film twists. He sees something and he says, aye, aye. 
Um, but I think the fucking standoff like, plays really good. Mm-hmm. And the thing is as well, like, like Harvard Cartel still incensed that fucking Ross know they're at. Aye. Oh, that is a wee bit heartbreaking. Like, when he does kind of mutter to him, like, because uh, everyone shoots all the apart in, from the pink uh, or hides under the fucking uh, like how did like was he even involved in the fucking the standoff no no everyone was pointing guns apart for him so he was uh, smart enough to just fucking hide under the fucking uh, then fuck off with the diamonds yeah the one thing I didn't realize uh, Ken was how did um Sean well no Sean Penn thing we get killed get shot who Chris Penn He's, Aye, uh, how did he... Who shot him? White. But White shot his dad. Orange. I'm thinking I'm just showing colours now. Orange have, a, have his gun anywhere? Because he... he, he I did. Ah, that's actually quite interesting. I've never thought of that until now. Because... Because fucking... They killed the cop. Wait, one of them was pointing at Joe. No, one of them was pointing at Orange. I'm thinking if it was Joe... Joe was pointing at Orange. And then... White was pointing at Joe. White was pointing at Joe, and Chris Penn was like, don't you fucking point a gun at my dad. And he was pointing at White. So he shot White, White shot Joe. Joe shot... Well, didn't they shoot anybody? Unless he got shot, fell back, shot his own son. Nah, maybe Pink shot somebody and just thought Nibby's pointing a gun at me aye he's just a fucking he's a fucking rain man he's worked yeah. he knows his odds like, right, so they're all of these pointing guns at each other apart from me and if it all happens it's just Joe left right I'll shoot Joe and fuck off with the money yeah it's one of these things you have to look back to just to see how it all falls out yeah and it's just that dying struggle at the end where fucking Mr. White just struggles over just oh to, wait a minute fucking did Orange get shot again, though? I feel like, because they're pointing a gun at Orange, because he was alive on the floor, and Kaitel was, like, then he pointed him, he's no the fucking rat. Uh, that's what, I've, I've found out what happened. Go for it. See, the bullets were supposedly fly, fly like this. Joe was supposed to shoot Mr. Orange. Yep. Eddie was to shoot Mr. White, and Mr. White was to shoot Joe and then Eddie. But mm. during the filming, Eddie's squibs went off before Mr. White was able to get to him. And then he fell there to the floor anyway. So nobody actually shot him. All right. <laughs> so they left there, innit? Ah, it was a tough. Uh, <laughs> it happened that fast. His squibs went off and he uh, just fell there. Aye. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> That's it. They'll no question that, but like 25 years later on the podcast. Yeah. It's a big thing on fucking Reddit. On Google. I just typed in who shot good and then it was there. <laughs> fucking fan, fan theories galore. Yeah. So like, uh, there's a wee YouTube video of what happened. And I just imagine fucking people's presentations and it's just all computer generated figures shooting each other. <laughs> that, or you could just slow the film down and watch it. Like, yeah. Aye, that as well. But still, I made a graph. Look. <laughs> I've got a flow chart. <laughs> I've got a pie chart here. Aye. <laughs> and it's got coloured segments matching the guys in the film. <laughs> Is it right? That boy's had too much Red Bull. Let's <laughs> no invite him to parties anymore. Um, but aye, the gut-wrenching bit at the end. Uh, 
I mean, no, okay, we will get to it. I know you feel it too. When fucking Mr. Orange tells tells Mr. White that he's a cop. Ah, and it's like they're just... The grunting scene that Mr. White makes. Ah, it's like, is it disappointing? Is he's it... fucking devastated. Because... Yeah. Ah, he's... Because he pretty much vouched the whole thing for him, Exactly. It's this whole fucking relationship. It's, it's just like, as if the son's betrayed the father almost to like that yeah. extreme. And you're like, oh, that's fucking tough. Yeah. I like the fact that during the scene where he's like, so he's cradling orange yeah. and he's got the gun to his face. And, that, and then it just the camera's right on, on Harvey Cattell's face and you hear the pose like barging in the background. And it's quite good the fact that you didn't actually see... If he... Finishes off. Well, he does, though, because you hear the gunshot. Because he's like, he may, he's, he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's got to he's do it. He's going to get rid of the bullets. But so then he pulled the trigger, and then. The they, cops just wasted him. Yeah. Aye. It was a strong ending. Aye. Alright. Andy, anything you want to add? <laughs> like, prior to us talking about remakes, like, any other things about the film? No, we've got we've covered everything. Right. Okay. Um, what I was what I did think when watching this was the fact that this would make an actual a really awesome stage play. Like it would be dead easy to make. Like the warehouse would be the central location, and you'd have characters coming in and out, giving you more chunks of the story as it goes on. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's been done already. So when I was looking into Wikipedia, um, I did see that there was a, it was chosen as part of a series of ongoing live dramatic readings. Reservoir Dogs was uh, staged in Los Angeles in 2012 and they did a live reading uh, held by director Jason Reitman. Right. So like director Juno, up in the air, young adult. And he cast the film with actors and more or less they're all on stage and they've got a script and they just read it to an audience. So... Jason Reitman was directing, and he done an all-black cast. His cast included Lawrence Fishburne as Mr. White, Terence Howard as Mr. Blonde, Anthony Mackie as Mr. Pink, Cuba Gooden Jr. as Mr. Orange, Chi McBride as Joe, Common played both Mr. Brown and Tortured Cop, Anthony Anderson was Nice Guy Eddie, and Patton Oswald was the orange cop's mentor because obviously in Reservoir Dogs he was a black guy yeah like just think of that I want to see that fucking film like that's a strong fucking cast Lawrence Fishburne Anthony Mackie as Mr. Pinks was brilliant because he's quite comedic yeah like, especially in his Marvel films and what that film all the other shit he does like Pain Again Pain Again and the Christmas movie with Seth Rogen uh, yeah, the night before the night before like he would be brilliant at that. And Andy, you mentioned that earlier that we should be reviving a remake, a recast yeah. the film. Alright. Oh, so. A dream recast. Aye, right, go for it. Let's rattle off who you would choose if you had right. to. First th- one, I had, I had Joe, and I had John Goodman. Then I was thinking. If it was going to be like a serious budget movie, Brian Cranston. As. I had one of the two. 
Wait, between the two? What, for aye, Joe? Like, aye, like one of for Joe, Joe. the gangster. Okay, now. aye, aye. For Eddie, I had Jonah Hill. Just-because-again-the-look-similar-basically-and-the-bit-like-act-the-same-basically-aye-I-can-see-it-yeah-right-for-the-colours-orange-now-this-is-a-hard-choice-I-was-the-first-thing-in-Shia-LaBeouf-
I'm thinking mm. like a dogma Matt Demon, where he's like kind of really hyper, and like right. if he's really fixated on something, he could be a bit daft. I mm-hmm. going for a young actor, Andrew Garfield is Mr. Orange. I just sort of like maybe also definitely uh, still younger than like Tim Roth, but. Aye, but has he got any fucking like any ability as an actor? Really? Uh, I would kind of say like okay, outside like Spider Man, like I did watch him in uh, Silence, like Martin Scorsese's last film. Uh-huh. And he did quite well in that. But, I mean, really, you just have to kind of see how he fucking reacts when he's being shot. So that's close. the big test. I, what was it? The big name for Joe, I would put uh, Robert De Niro. He's getting like that get age now where he, he, he's no young enough to be one of the colours. But he's yeah. definitely at the age where he could be the man in charge yeah, of it all. It could have been blue. Aye, aye. Um, That's a wee bit overkill for that character. Aye. My blue is Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> oh my god, really? Exactly. He's, well, that's it. He's quite active. Again, like, like one of the greatest actors on earth. Exactly. And he's, 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 exactly. he's quit films, though. So to have him show up for one day is probably more than enough for him. Like if he owed fucking Scorsese one last favour. They go and just come up, show up for breakfast, smoke a cigar and leave. Uh, like fine, fine. <laughs> uh, Mister. <laughs> no, I just thought he was going to breakfast. Like, Marty, why is? Oh no, I've got a reality show going, Daniel. Like, really? <laughs> uh, Mister Brown, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, you go, Mark Wahlberg is Mister Brown. I, like, think of him doing like the Madonna speech. Like, you could hear his voice right away. Yeah. Doing like talking about like a virgin, um, yeah. for the tortured cop, I went for Adam Driver just because thinking obviously if there's a connection between the two cops, they're both relatively young. They could be in the academy together, so Adam Driver sure he's got big fucking ears, like <laughs> just fucking that's like gives uh, Ray Liotta about half an hour to chat one of those boys off, like cutting, like fucking fritters. <laughs> and another fucking snap here I've got Jonah Hill as nice guy Eddie Hi. yep uh, and a nice one like this big name but taking a back seat Leonardo DiCaprio as the cop mentor alright because that's he could be one of the colours but there's no enough like he's good enough to be a mentor he could take the back seat he could be teaching Andrew Garfield's because there's a good age gap between them uh. and so that was my recasting of it if Martin Scorsese did it whitewash it is quite a whitewash whitewash in Hollywood <laughs> I was like um, shit there's, <laughs> I, I can maybe yeah. look up like a, a random here. I can look up a, maybe a random Asian from silence but nah I didn't want to throw Chalian fat in there somewhere but it just breaks the theme because I didn't want to do like Chinese remake of it because this film is like famously linked with City on Fire anyway like, there is big plot points because that's about a dual uh, heist gone wrong and people suspecting who's an undercover cop. And it all goes down between, like, Chow Yun-Fat, Danny Lee, and they have a standoff in a warehouse which ends... I think it's actually the exact same ending. <laughs> so, so, this has always been famously linked. 
with this film. So I thought, I need to do something else other than the Chinese remake, which kind of actually came before it. Yeah. Uh, facts and figures. This film was made on a budget of 1.2 million. Aye. I've actually, Mike, I think I've jumped. Trivia. Do you have any notes? Um, ah, what, what a, I'm just trying to remember them. I, the big... The big one is Mr. Blonde's name mm-hmm. is Vic Vega. Yes. And uh, this is like being proven, like Quentin Tarantino said in future interviews, that him and George Lowe are like connected, like they're brothers in, in his cinematic universe. Because what is fucking Vincent Vega? Right, aye, so John Travolta's Vincent Vega. Yeah, and he's Vic. Vic. Right, so famously his brothers. Yeah. Um, there was talks of doing a John Travolta and Michael Madsen film. Oh, like a Vega Brothers. Aye, like a prequel sort of thing. Uh, but for some sort of reason, they never bothered. The reason why you didn't really find much on Eddie Bunker. Aye. Is because he's a career, he was a career criminal. So what, he's... Like, been in and out of jail. Right, okay. Oh, shit. And um, he's actually been in a couple of other films where he plays criminals. Aye. The only, the only film I remember him being in was he played one of the fucking old prisoners in Adam Sandler's The only Longest Yard. Oh, aye, aye, aye. And I played, like, the older guy. It's only kind of... Remember him outside of fucking Steve Austin, uh, Kevin Nash, and shouting at black people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what was the other one? Lawrence Tierney fucking got uh, arrested while they were filming it for pulling a gun on his nephew, <laughs> and they actually they went and bailed him, right? And he got took through the police station right to the set. <laughs> Don't think you're getting it fucking work that easy. And there was a... Uh, the other one that asked you quite, quite like the look and you were talking about the purple sports jacket that ah. actually belonged to Chris Penn. A lot ah. of them, to save budget, a lot of them wore their own shit. Aye, that makes sense. And uh, like the trousers that Steve Buscemi wore, that they were his. Aye. And they weren't a part of the... Well, that was it. It was probably like... It was just to say budget and they shit. They probably tell us, right, I want you in black suits, white shirts, black ties. Yeah. And they probably just have to break through their own wardrobes. Supposedly that's a reference to uh, one of John Woo's films, A Bear Tomorrow 2. Chow Yun-Fat, T-Lung and all the guys at the end before they go into the final battle were black suits, white shirts, black ties. So supposedly that's a reference to that. I reckon if that's mm. IMDb digging too much for for references, but we all can Tarantino's fucking movie nut. So yeah. of course it could be something as subtle as that as a reference to some random yeah. Hong Kong film for the eighties. During the or nineties. I can't remember if it was a poster, I've not got my phone on that, but I can't remember if it was a poster in the film or if it was an ad over here on the radio but they mentioned Jack Rabbit Slims. Mm. Which was a diner for perfection. Oh, yeah. And they talk about that $5 shake. Oh, the famous $5 shake. <laughs> Want to know about the box office? <laughs> Sorry. Go, Guy, go. go. 
Um, in America, it pulled in $2.8 million. Not that much. But its big success is when it came in overseas. In the UK, it raked easily about, I think, £6 million. Other countries, I think when you look at uh, IMDb, when they do the worldwide gross, they class this uh, worldwide $20 million. So it seemed to have gotten a giant success outside of the domestic country. It only really costs a million to make, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I think they were saying it got shown, but it wasn't until it came out on video and it was huge. And it was that big that they ended up putting it back in cinemas the same time it came out on fucking tape. Glorious, glorious tape. Aye. So, I think that pretty much sealed it as a right do what the fuck you want with Pulp Fiction. Here's here's the keys, the money, the money's in the vault. Get all the names. Fuck, try and get Bruce Willis. Good luck. <laughs> now, Amazon one-star reviews. Based on 322 reviews, there was 21 one-star reviews. And are they all viable? Some hit and miss. Let's see our first one. I repeat, this is Tripe by a customer. And I'll, I'll note, he's got the format as VHS tape. Oh, yes. Uh, his review. <laughs> I wrote below that this film just illustrates how blood and guts numbs people's critical faculties. I had hoped that some of you would rise to the bait, but you're obviously too obsessed with praising scenes of grotesque cruelty, brackets, where the artistic merit is in having a bloke cut off a tied-up policeman's ear, it's not even original, close bracket, to find anything worth praising. Maybe that's because the film's rubbish. Next one. Wrong order supplied. Need replacement by Brian. I mentioned this was uh, reviewed, logged was uh, April 2014. Review. Unfortunately, this wasn't the rare edition sent. As ordered, can you replace it if returned the steelbook? Please advise. Thanks, Brian. Any chance for that one he was looking for? So Brian's probably been sitting for 2014 <laughs> waiting for an answer for that fucking message he sent to Amazon. Poor Brian. Um, and our last one. Really bad by Simila. I have ordered this DVD twice now. The first time it came here with no sound on it and I tried it on several different machines but there was no sound on any of them. As it didn't cost too much, I reordered it. And rather than sending it back, guess what happens? No sound again. I've tried it on different machines, checked it's the correct region, but nothing. Still no sound. Don't waste your money on this. So why did you not send the first one back? It's cheaper to buy another one, obviously. Cheaper than free? That's what it says. They're not free to send returns back. Exactly, get your replacement. I'll just buy another one. The second one will be fine. No, that doesn't work either. All right, third time's a charm. Hey, no. just, uh, turns out that she's a hoarder. Is that, I can't get rid of them. What if I need them? <laughs> There's no sense. Exactly. And then I have three copies. Chuck it, Kyle. I can watch it in three rooms at the same time. 
You can, you're just going to be able to hear what's going on. Alright, what's next? The second stop in our Tarantino month continues with Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Can't remember what year. 2009? Yeah. 2009. I was kind of wanting Death Proof to win it just so I could like, watch it again. But, like, that's probably, probably my least favourite one. I think that's probably on a lot of people's list. Yeah, quite a lot of folks <clears> don't <throat> quite like that one. Penguins ahead a lot of a lot of hype around it because it was with that grindhouse double feature. Aye, exactly. And that kind of, that was like a, a flop at the box office. I don't think uh, people yeah. wanted to go to the pictures for three and a bit hours. I just, I just thought Kurt Russell playing a fucking maniac fucking... Stunt driver. Yeah, but it's like absolute money. Aye, and then have a bunch of female leads. Yeah. Like the... You're overflowing with eye candy and you've got <laughs> Kurt Russell killing them all. Surely that's pretty straightforward, but no. What was his character called? Killer Mike? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike, that's it. Aye, aye, and fuck when you get in the car with him if he's crying, Killer Mike. <laughs> nah, Killer Mike. <laughs> We're just going to stay in the bar and finish our drinks. <laughs> so, come on. Is it, why did they cry a Killer Mike? <laughs> uh, get in the car and I'll show you. It's a nah, nah, man. Your car's probably not even got seatbelts. Fuck you. Uh. Uh, we have a website filmsandswearing.com for links to fucking everything you need to know about us take part in our review selection process hop onto twitter and follow us at FAS podcast next poll that will be going up will most likely be our third Tarantino poll Yeah. choose between Django Unchained and Hateful Eight help us decide also shout out to our patrons patreon.com forward slash FAS podcast. Our numbers are going up like one every month. We're now on four patrons. So thank you all for your support and your money. You now have access to over 10 hours of additional podcasts. This month we'll be recording even more, including the likes of Safety Last and Death Note. So fucking plenty of podcasting for that pound. Oh, I'm so glad I'm doing that fucking Death Note podcast after what I've read about it. <laughs> So get on our page, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash F-A-S podcast. It's just fucking time to sign off. Yeah. That'll do. That's opening line. Yeah, uh, we'll just have a closing one. I've not got the lime in the coconut song. Can I find that one? Uh, or I never looked hard enough. Uh, shout out to Andros for our normal theme music. Thanks to Stu McPherson, Kenny B and Carol for supporting us and all our listeners for tuning in and for letting us fill your lugs. But it's now that time of the night for us to pull out. And if we've learned one thing from today, Mike, it would be... Tim Roth bleeds a lot. Tim Roth bleeds a lot. Fuck it. Andy? Fuck off and tune in next week.